Hello, and welcome to Racy Books. A podcast so hot, it could cause a power unit to overheat, forcing a driver to retire from a race. Um, otherwise, we explore the world of F1 through romance novels. That was, that was great, Hannah. I think it was really good. I think it had something to do with F1 and it had a pun, which are my, yeah. the things I go for. Those are the two important things. So That's today, right. it's, in this it's episode, not super catchy. It's it's a little long. Okay. Um, so if this is the first season. We have all of next season to figure it out. This is actually our final episode of this season. It um, is. And uh, as such, we have a very special guest uh, to the podcast, um, fellow fan of romance novels, um, Lily Herman, who is a culture writer and editor and the creator of the F1 Culture uh, newsletter engine failure and the co-host and producer of choosing sides which is a podcast about f1 and um if you would like we've actually talked about engine failure on the podcast before um i don't know that we knew the name of it at the time but we did link it in the show notes um and have notes. specified it is the only um f1 newsletter worth um subscribing <laughs> to but you can also subscribe to it at enginefailuref1.com so hi lily oh wait do we need to do first yeah, I'm Kate Manassian. And I'm Hannah Ernest. And Kate reviews books. And Hannah writes them. That's right. There we go. Okay. Love yeah. it. That was, hello, we did hello. that snappy this time. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited. Did you know that um, I've been on your newsletter because I answered one of your questions? I, you know, and I, got, I, and I got picked and I was very excited. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Admittedly, yeah. the conspiracy corner section has been a little chaotic. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden I started getting like 45 responses to questions and things when I used to, I was used to having 15 to 25. And then I, there were a couple in there that people felt very passionately about. So here, here we are. <laughs> yeah, people, people like started feeling comfortable and we're like, I've got an opinion. And yeah. I think people at this point understand what I'm looking for. So they were, uh, most of them were pretty spot on and that makes it almost harder because then you actually yeah. have to par quite a few yeah. down. Whereas before I kind of knew, yeah, like what wasn't that great. And so I'd just be able to cut it. But yeah, yeah. now everyone wants to have their voice be heard about. Well, the rarity I, it was, it was a real thrill for me. So I can understand. <laughs> I'm happy yeah. to hear it. Hannah <laughs> called me and was like, Kate, did you see I was in Billy Herman's newsletter? And I had not noticed. So that's <laughs> because I didn't, yeah. I don't think it Admittedly, too, there are certain like I know, for instance, there's three different women named Emily who I know submit a lot. Mm. So I get a lot of M's, Emmy, and Emily's, and then I, all of them have separately explained to me that they submit a lot to Conspiracy Corner, and have joked about the other Emily's that they see also <laughs> in there a lot. So, and I feel bad because I obviously don't. It, you just have to submit your first name, and that's it. Yeah. Or, or if you want something else, I don't really give a shit. Uh, and so, so yeah, so I'm I'm constantly dealing with just. You know, I'm just like, okay, yeah, like Kate and, and Emily yeah. and yeah. You know, whoever. And so it's sort of like, okay, great. You know, Hannah's uh, got a relatively distinctive name, though. So I, I will say I there's, there's a lot there of are, Hannah's in there's the world. There's a lot of Hannah and yeah. Hannah's. Yeah. So yeah. I do have, and there's another Hannah who spells it H A N A who has submitted a bunch. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. We're so, all out here trying to get attention yeah. in the, in the <laughs> Hannah Emily realm. There's also two dueling Roberts I have found. Or, or there's oh, two yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, because they both separately again messaged me just on different things. I'm like, oh, and I submitted this one. I was like, oh, I know who the other the other Robert is now. <laughs> so- Bob, Bob v. Bob. 
there we go. Yeah. yeah. We'll see what, we'll see what happens. Maybe there's a duel in the works. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> So, um, we've, uh, I, we did a whole, now we've, we've talked a whole bunch, but we're gonna, I think, get in the garage. And, um, in in this, in this context, we're not going to talk about the plot of a book. Um, we're going to ask, uh, Lily to tell us a little bit about herself. Um, yeah, I guess introduce yourself was the first thing. Well, we've we've done really, that. We have, I guess, but I mean, I've, I don't know. Do you want to talk? Uh, I, I feel know, like I this is a little more detail. Um, yeah. yeah. So I am uh, a New York-based writer and editor by trade. And in terms of Formula One, and in, I guess in terms of romance novels, romance novels might be easier chronologically. I've been a romance reader going back to the days of good old mid two thousands. YA books, right? A lot of the classics. I can remember the exact part of the books a million in my neighborhood that I used to go to and where the YA section was in there. It was like the front left. Can always, if I ever went back, I could tell you exactly where everything was there uh, and read romance as a, you know, a kid, a, a, you know, different romance when you're a child versus when you're a preteen and a teen and then an adult. Uh, but I, I've been reading romance for, for literal decades kind of took a break somewhat in adulthood and then came back to it um, ironically before, right before the pandemic. But then I, it was very helpful when we were all stuck inside and very miserable at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in terms of F1, yeah, I, I came about it in the proud way that many Americans do through Drive to Survive. When I was bored, I'm very susceptible to really liking sports shows and, and docu-series and documentaries. I, I don't really follow the big four that Americans do. So no football, no basketball, et cetera. But I do, for instance, follow a little bit of tennis, a little bit of figure skating, gymnastics year round, and and used to follow CrossFit pretty intensely, despite not doing CrossFit. So, is um, CrossFit so, a competitive sport? Yeah, yeah, they have the CrossFit Games. It's a whole a whole thing. So I have followed a lot of stuff, and then one day Netflix just puts this race car driving docu series in front of my face, Drive to Survive, and I binge it in a matter of days. I think. I don't remember how many seasons were out at that point, but not, it was, it was, you know, not, not relatively recent, but um, yeah. And then all of a sudden I, I went down a rabbit hole and then months after that, yeah, I had formed my own, you know, F1 DM of friends, pretty much entirely Americans and a couple of Canadians who watched it. And then slowly but surely that poor group chat got stuck with me constantly sending screenshots of the wags or what people were wearing with all my commentary the Carlos Sainz denim theory, which we, I guess we can get into in a bit, uh, which is a, a, a marquee feature of <laughs> engine failure was or, originated from me just sending photos of this man in his denim to my friends who were like, that's great, Lily. <laughs> um, and then eventually I love newsletters, email newsletters. That's my sort of primary medium. I, I receive and subscribe to over 200 of them. Uh, granted, they don't come every day. If this is, you know, some are monthly, some are yeah. quarterly or randomly coming into my inbox, but I I was like, I want to start an F1 newsletter that's more culture-based. I had gone looking for a lot of stuff and a lot of what I found were either Instagram accounts, which are great. And those are run by a lot of excellent young, young teen girls and also young adult women. And there were some defunct blogs that were kind of doing what I wanted. There was an, uh, a late 2000s, early 2010s blog called The Pit Walk that was I, like an OG fashion blog for the F1 paddock. But of course, it was a lot more inaccessible, the paddock back then. So this mm-hmm. person, I don't even know their, their gender, who they are, uh, but they had sort of like limited access to photos, but still found a way to make it very, very fun. 
And uh, yeah, so I went searching for something for what I was looking for and did not find it. So I was like, I will just create it one day. So engine failure, I launched after many months of just sort of sitting on it. I had a, an opportunity where some some other work stuff had kind of cleared up. Um, and then I launched it in August of 2021 towards the end of the summer break. And yeah, it's been really fun, but basically it's a mix of fashion and discussing larger cultural issues within the sport. And that could be anything from the, the lack of feminism in F1 to, I think for the upcoming issue, I'm discussing a lot of the crowd issues at a lot of the recent Grand Prix and then, or Grand Prix, I should say. And then there's also, yeah, a, a, a section called Conspiracy Corner where readers can submit stuff based on a question of the week. Uh, but it really sort of, um, it's, it's a very American point of view and it's a very like unhinged American girly point of view. I don't really, that I write to, why it resonates with us. <laughs> yeah. I, I write to amuse myself and unsurprisingly that seems to amuse a lot of Americans, but specifically a lot of Americans and queer folks being that I'm both. So it's like, okay, uh, those people can like it. If the men don't like it, I don't really care. <laughs> so, like, they can find a different uh, exactly. There's plenty there of stuff. Plenty of things yeah, for them. They'll right. be fine. I do not mm-hmm. care. Um, but I will say there are a lot of people, particularly men, who who also do like it because it isn't something they can find elsewhere. And also, men love to gossip too. So, <laughs> if you if you you want a mix of uh, you know kind of larger cultural analysis analysis, I should say of the sport, or wags drama, or a look at the sartorial points of view in the paddock, you can get all of that and an engine failure. Definitely. That's what we, that's why we subscribed. Yeah, exactly. I I think Kate um, emailed me or texted me and said, this is the only one they talk about romance and F1 (laughs) and and fashion. And we're, so we're good. Yeah. We both, we both also got into F1 through drive to survive, but Hannah was the one who dragged me into it. My um, hus- my husband was watching it and I said, what is this dumb show? And then about four minutes later, I was like, so how, how far in are yep. you going <laughs> to need to go back to the beginning? And when I think I, it, yeah. it was like Charles came on screen and I was uh, like, oh, how, 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 yeah, we both, we both started mid, uh, uh, we, after the third season came out. And so, got and it, then, so it. yeah, so we both actually just started watching races after, uh, yeah. about after summer break last year. So 2021, Got probably. It. So yeah. we, we were relatively... right in time for some heartbreak. Yeah. <laughs> oh but... yes. Oh yeah. goodness. I, I feel for the Tifosi and I've told everyone, it's like, I can't be a Ferrari, like a full fledged Ferrari fan, like a Tifosi member, because I'm already in therapy for too many other things. So I yeah. can't also be in there dealing with my Ferrari feelings. And that's of course yeah. like capital F, capital F Ferrari feelings. Yes. Um, but uh, I wish I wish all the Tifosi well. I do root for Ferrari, but I just it's I too it's too painful. It. Yeah, I'm a child of divorce. I've already been through this. Like I don't need <laughs> I don't need more <laughs> at the moment. Um, Can we yeah. roll slightly back to your YA romance days? Yeah. Were you reading Sarah Dessen? Oh, oh goodness. Okay, so a little uh, to back up here. I actually went on a different podcast called the SSR podcast and talked about a Sarah Dessen book on there. And I, and on my now defunct romance novel podcast, my then co-host and I did an episode on the YA books that ruined our adult love lives. And I, of course, brought up Sarah Dessen and her more recent-ish controversies and you know what what kind of went down. I think that was also right before the pandemic. She had her her little. Twitter moment. Uh, but I was back in the day as like a white suburban preteen and teen, a Sarah Dessen girly read mo- most of her books. And 
felt such an attachment <laughs> to all of them. And I did live in a beach community, so I felt a little bit oh, of a connection. So you were really in it. Yeah. So I felt very much I, I understood. You lived in Colby. Was, except except not as as kind of North Carolina-esque vibes. This was or like Monta. I don't know. I can't remember where, where everything was based, but I, yeah. I was in I was in Florida, so a lot more humid and not as <laughs> cool and yeah. and like hip or trendy. Uh, and, but, but I, I loved Sarah Dessen at the time. Absolutely loved it. And I still, yeah. I, I, yeah, I read a, one of her books for this podcast about a year, year and a half ago, and it's wild how ahead of her time she was. And yes, there are some things that could be improved upon and whatnot, you know, in hi- hindsight, but it, yeah, I was like, I don't know who else was talking about some of these topics in this way to preteens and teens in in the aughts you know so yeah I, I do respect her for like what she gave me as a a young person especially now yes she yeah. was she was part of my gateway as well into into this world so I was curious I just skipped over all that and went straight <laughs> to adult romance <laughs> novels so <laughs> I didn't have my young adult uh romance phase I don't think so um should we uh let's go to the the formation lab formation formation <laughs> lab yes we're yeah. gonna do the formation we're lab. Out, out of the garage we're out of the garage we we have some f1 questions yes and we're, and we're hoping that we're hoping you, you might Yes. Oh goodness. Oh goodness. Okay. They're mostly sure. about tires. Yeah, we have okay. a well see I okay, this is what we know about the tires. Okay. There are I'm gonna say what I know and Hannah is going to Hannah knows I'm half be what I know. Because <laughs> because I share I share most of it, but sometimes it's things get lost in translation, I think. But we know there are five tire compounds and they get three they get three each track. But we do not understand how that happens. How many tires they get, mm-hmm. why they get those tires. Um, and then like also what we want to know, how do they know that they put on a, a not new set of tires? Like <laughs> when the commentators are like, and this isn't this set of tires has been used for, you know, four laps already and blah blah and we do not understand this. Um, but we do understand they have to use two different in the race unless it's wet, and then they can just use the wet one. Yes. So and, yeah. Do yeah. you know anything? Yeah. Do so, you have any? Nuts? Yes. <laughs> Please so, help us. So basically, to back up a little bit, there is one tire supplier to F1 currently, and that's Pirelli. This was not right. always the case. There have been multiple tire suppliers at one at different points in F1 history. It's been a little loosey goosey at times. If you go back decades, there have also been though because of that some different occurrences where. Again, I, I don't know the exact race, but th- there have been different instances where, for instance, um, a certain tire provider or supplier had issues with the FIA with their tires. So when running them could not run the race, they've had issues with other, yeah, other tires from certain suppliers just breaking down all of a sudden. And so this created a lot of issues of wild. Yeah. So it's just, it's just funny. And this is on top of obviously cars were a lot less reliable in previous decades than they are in formula one. Well, not Ferrari. (laughs) And also a a lot less uh, safe. But again, if we're thinking about poor Carlos Sainz in a burning Ferrari a couple months ago with the fire marshals running away from him. It doesn't seem that way, (laughs) but so basically at this point in F1, and I can't, again, I'd have to look over my notes from, from my choosing sides F1 time uh, over the exact time, but basically at some point in recent history, F1 said, Hey, we're going to have one tire supplier. It is Pirelli, all the teams from an equitable or equity standpoint, y'all get the same tires, the same compounds, 
the same rules. And so the idea is this is one way to equalize a sport that is not equal in the slightest. <laughs> so, <laughs> and there's, again, many other reasons in politics and why this happened and people have conspiracies and whatnot. But basically, Pirelli does all the tires. The other big thing is Pirelli, I, I, people who often just get into F1 ask the question of like, well, why do they even have to change tires? I mean, I, I drive on my tires on my normal car for thousands and thousands of miles. I don't have to keep pitting to, you know, to, to fix or change them every hundred miles or something. And basically, uh, the FIA F1 went to Pirelli and they said, hey, you can be our big single tire supplier. You need to create tire compounds that will break down over short distances to force people to pit. So the idea is they do not want Esteban Ocon. I can't, I think it was last year, maybe this year. I can't remember if it was that much earlier this year. Esteban Ocon had a race in the last year where he went the full you know, the full race, not changing tires. I think it was the first time that it happened in decades or something like you're meant to pit. They want that, right? They want the strategy with pitting. They want the drama. Mm. So the tires have to be created to make you have to pit. And as we were talking about, they now have rules that change from year to year a little bit. Um, I know they made some changes to the qualifying stuff or they're looking at it and whatnot, but uh, basically, yeah, you have these tires that are meant to degrade at a much faster rate than normal for the sport's sake. Within that, Pirelli creates every year five tire compounds, and they get to choose, and they claim it's based on science and weather and all these other factors, the type of track it is and how old it is and yada, yada, yada. So they'll pick out of those five compounds, they'll pick three of them. And regardless of where they are on the scale of the five, whatever the hardest one is of those three is the hard tire compound for the weekend, Mm -hmm. then the medium, and then the soft. So it doesn't actually mean that they're all the same. It doesn't mean that also that the softest of that weekend is the softest of all five of the compounds. It just means, hey, of this weekend, this is the softest thing you can run on. So one weekend you could have a tire that was the hard tire and the next weekend that tire could be the medium tire. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it really just depends, again, on like the track, the weather conditions, a bunch of other factors that probably is a little bit quiet on. And they also do a lot of work around, for instance, at the beginning of races, you'll see them often show you know, hey, here's the optimal tire strategy based on our calculations. Now, of course, this changes, for instance, if there's a safety car or a red flag, or Mm -hmm. let's say, as you said, it suddenly starts to rain or even drizzle. Anything could change, but they're sort of saying at the beginning of these races, hey, here's what we're seeing as the the optimal way to, to use our tires. So, of course, as we know, also from Ferrari, teams do not always (laughs) do that (laughs) or do what Mm -hmm. Pirelli sort of suggests or puts out there publicly. So, so yeah, so basically um, on top of that, just because there's an optimal strategy or whatever, every car is different. And also every driver is different. Some drivers like Checo uh, over at Red Bull, very well known for being good at conserving his tires and keeping them as fresh as possible. And that's very important to his job as the number two driver helping Max Verstappen win a title, though I don't really think Max needs help this year at this point, but Checo is known, and this came into play last year a lot, for being very good at just sticking out as long as he needs to. So you have certain drivers who are really excellent at that. You have other drivers who are not as good, or even, you know, a lot of rookies really struggle. You see kind of younger drivers or newer drivers have a little bit of issue trying to get that tire temp down. And there are just some people who are naturally just better at it or understand it or kind of understand cars and engineering better. So yeah, I think tire strategy is sort of fascinating in that you can you can go down endlessly just talking about it. I will say too, there are a people who throughout the entire weekend, I've heard this from different media people in the paddock and other folks who've had paddock passes, 
there are people working on the tires every second of every day that they are allowed to. So you have them shaving off all of the deteriorated, degraded bits. They have mm-hmm. to obviously be kept at certain temperatures. You know, you have people where their entire job for that weekend is to like nurse a tire <laughs> and, and make sure it, they don't let it. So when you have things like the Ferrari mix up where the tire just wasn't there at the, I think it was the Dutch Grand Prix. And they're like, where's the tire? It was like, how did you all lose this? Because it is literally people like you guys have hundreds of thousands of employees. Job. Yeah. yeah. All you, you had literally, when we say you had one job, that is a literal <laughs> phrase. And that was to make sure the tire was there, you know? So, so yeah, but th- those tires, so much of the science and R and D just goes into figuring out how to get them to the optimal temperature, degrade at the optimal amount you want. And then as we know, everything goes awry during races. So so at the beginning of a weekend, like for practice, everyone has the same number of kinds of tires. And then do they just update some sort of, I mean, I'm sure internally they have every tire, how many laps it's gone around, but how do you have any idea how these announcers are keeping track of a tire? I don't know if they, I'm guessing that they have some form of a connection to teams or at least can hear radio or something. I actually have no idea about okay. that specific part, but obviously the FIA keeps close track. So I don't know if they have yeah. some, some, you know, connection to what oh, the FIA yeah. sees. Uh, Cause I, like I said, obviously they are keeping close watch on all of this stuff, not just to commentate, but to make sure it's a fair race. Of course. So I want to make sure. And also just for things like, it's important to know that you know, Red Bull on a couple of occasions has, you know, Max is so good at what he does and knows that car so well that they can, they, they've had times where he's qualified on great laps without having to use an extra set of tires, let's say. So they've saved brand new soft tires for race for days, the race. things like yeah. that. Yeah. So it, again, it really depends on so many factors. And at the end of the day too, it could all be fucked up by like human error or, or even just the track being 10 degrees Celsius hotter, just because uh, our, Earth is a hellscape at the moment, uh, right. climate-wise. So, <laughs> yeah. so or, you can do all or this planning. a little piece of carbon just coming, exactly coming something, out or something, or something like wedges itself. Yeah, like you have no idea. So, yeah, that's a, that's the fun of tires for me, at least, is that <laughs> it's it's always the wrench in every plan. <laughs> so, we we have been trying to understand tires for so long. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm just scratching the surface. There's like endless. There are people. I have I know someone who has a a, a, a spouse who knows infinitely more about tires professionally and he will drill down sometimes into all these little technical pieces and again that's just one part of it i meanwhile i'm like who's yeah who doesn't have the tire at the pit stop or like is the tire shredded you know and he's like well on the molecular level i'm like i can contribute nothing to this but like great Mm -hmm. you know does it mean that yeah max's tire is gonna blow at baku like that's what i care about so uh yeah so it tires fascinating thing and just like one of eight bajillion elements that make an F1 race very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like every time we watch a race, we learn something new. And mm-hmm. the the, the week that time. we learned that you have to have two, you have to use two different compounds in a race. We were like, oh, what? What is this? Because it just either, either they hadn't said it or it just like went over our heads and we hadn't, we didn't have like the lingo for it yet. And then, yeah. And then, and then you have the issue. I mean, in this shook. last race, you had, um, well, I'm like, what race? Yeah, Monza. You had Lando Norris, who just did not make off well on his medium tires. And that, yeah, F, he was in, he started in P3 and ended up he middle dropped. of the pack and then had to drag himself back to P7. But he, yeah, he he completely did not move on the mediums to start. So obviously yeah. something went awry between, 
yeah, tire temp or just the grip on them or something that connected. You don't know, but it's like, the, what yeah. was he doing? You know? right. <laughs> so he did not move for like an extra second. And then yeah. I don't know how no one crashed into him. Like, that's Maybe he blinked. He like just blinked and didn't see what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? But it, <laughs> yeah. I was like, the tires. I was like, why is he on mediums? Everyone else around him is on softs. And he just mm. didn't go. It just wheel spun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, this tires is our, are this great. Is... We could, what? We have one more really dumb question, don't we? We do have one more we really do. dumb question. <laughs> we want to know, um, why do they weigh them at the beginning and end of the race, beginning and end of the race, mm-hmm. yes. Because there's yeah. there's the rule that no one can hand them anything or touch them. We, we learned that they, one recently too. <laughs> they don't seem to be following that rule. Like they're always We're very <laughs> confused about this because yeah. that one race, there was that one race recently where they like three people got fined because of it because they they yeah. had people. Yeah, um, um, we talked about it in an earlier episode. So I but- guess- so we were trying to figure out, is the problem that they're going to hand them something or give something? Well, first of all, they have to weigh cars before and after just in general, including the drivers for just cheating purposes to make sure you haven't done or something on a, I mean, this is why they also take, for instance, like, you know, fuel afterwards. You need, you need a certain amount of fuel to give to the FIA to test, to make sure you haven't like effed with your, basically your gasoline sample, you know, with mm-hmm, that sort of yeah. thing. Um, you haven't because, put any put any uh, boosters yeah. into the car there. Exactly. Yeah. So they want to the make gas. sure whatever you had at the start is what you have at the end. Similar with the car and similar with the drivers. They also have some minimum weight stuff nowadays. There actually used to be issues of drivers having eating disorders from trying to make themselves lighter because they couldn't make oh. the cars lighter. And this was only a couple. This is like we're talking the mid 2010s here. Um, and there's some drivers, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn being one of them, who was at McLaren until he was unseated by Lando mid-contract. Um, he has sort of talked about, he's fainted several times when he was an F1 driver from, from starving himself and whatnot. Um, and so part of it is also just a health thing of like making sure they know how much, you know, you, you can, I mean, Lewis has talked about losing 12 pounds in a race uh, of yeah. water weight, things like that. So it's a mixture of the cheating thing, understanding literally how the driver is part of the car, right? So how much did you weigh before and after? And similarly, you can't, you don't want them to touch the gear because you don't, you know, you don't want someone to mess with all of that. Right, um, take off the bag of bean bags or put yeah. a bag of bean. Yeah, exactly. Onto yeah. It. yeah. Like you, yeah. You just, so you don't want anyone to touch it. it. And then similarly, yeah. And then similarly, yeah, they know what the weight was before and after. And then also for driver safety of, of, you know, making sure if something has gone awry and you've lost infinitely more water weight than they thought or something like that, they, they know what's going on. So it's sort of, sort of almost, yeah, like a mix of a regulation cheating thing mixed with some some driver safety and health well-being stuff but you know yeah, that kind of comes probably a bit i was gonna say it feels there's a number of other like yeah exactly they have tech other technical reasons for doing it and whatnot but i just i'd say there's a big two is think of like it's like yes the driver's a person but also think of it as part of the car and they need to know everything that happens with yeah. every part of the car including the person who is steering it so um but yeah, but that's also why there have to be a lot of rules, particularly for the podium people. You see them, I mean, they're excited to be on the podium, so they kind of hop out. But then right. at the Italian Grand Prix in Monza, we saw that Nick DeVries couldn't even get out of his car at the end. Uh, he was like, my shoulders are dead. I his literally shoulders, yeah. yeah. So we yeah. had to have, kind of do like a kid going like, up, oh, like, pick me up. And you know, had to have to, <laughs> it was, he's that five, video six. is they so to, adorable. Like, it like, yeah, kind of pull him out of there because he was so dead from the whole thing. So um, but yeah, so that, that's why you oft, often traditionally see them just getting weighed super quickly. Um, we read a, a Tessa Bailey where the hero is, he's off. Um, he hasn't been driving for like a year 
Mm-hmm. And then he gets a phone call, of course, like, you know, right at the right near the end. Right. Because we need a big, big finish. And he has to he ha- they need him in Italy. He has to, he's got to drive in Italy. And he just goes and drives. And we were like, is he? Capable. He's not been doing the neck exercise. He's not been doing. He hasn't been holding anything on his neck. And then now to think he would have he would have been like Nick. He wouldn't have been able to get out of the car, let alone like run towards her. Well trained, right? So Nick. I mean, he was in Formula E until very recently. He was also he also knew he was going to test in FP1 for Aston Martin, which he did. This is I think after Aston Martin was his second or third test of the season. So this is a guy who's actually relatively well trained. But as people have pointed out. He is 5'6", Alex Alvin 6'1". Yes, all oh. drivers and whatnot get their own seat fittings at some point and, and whatnot. But um, just the car in general, there's only so much setup they can change at the last. I mean, he literally got called in like a couple hours yeah. before. Well, I mean, appendectomies yeah. happen very quick. Like a, a exactly, yeah. so, something so that is very yeah. quick. There's only so much they can really change. And on top of that, well, the car has its own idiosyncrasies that he's not going to be quite adjusted to. Yeah. Doesn't know right. how to train for those. So... I can see why, yeah, why he was just like by the end of that thing, like, yeah, he was like, I can't, I can't, I can't move my arms. Like, I, did not think, I, I didn't think about the height difference because that is actually it's something we learned recently, which was uh, about the the seats like being kind of like made specifically for the drivers. Yeah, there's um, a whole wacky, it's a wacky process if you look at the YouTube videos. It's very much oh. almost like a Tempur-Pedic mold situation. Honestly, like I will be. No, <laughs> I just love that you said the YouTube videos because we found that out because the heroine was doing a YouTube uh, series. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, I she needed, she needed the information for her YouTube series. Yes. So we we yeah. also looked it up. But that's so we were wondering because this is something right, like as we've been watching these races, it's like something that we have that that we we hear something every single week that is completely brand new to us. So we were wondering, and obviously you've done a lot more research and like you know you did the podcast and all that but like have there been any recent things that you've discovered that you've just been like oh my god how cool or like I had no idea or you know things that might oh, goodness yeah have surprised you recently or whatever oh goodness um I'm trying to think here of like if one knowledge oh gosh um I mean, if not that's okay too no I think, you know, maybe, I think it's maybe you just like... know things <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sort of racking my brain about what what last like shocked me to learn. Um I don't I I'm trying to think of like well, I will say from our which wasn't necessarily shocked to me because I looked it up forever ago, but when I it, when I for choosing sides F1 for those I we haven't really gone into it. So I I did this podcast uh it's in conjunction with Sports Illustrated Studios and iHeart Radio and basically my co-host is Daily Show correspondent Michael Costa who's also a former uh very mediocre by his own standards professional tennis player. He was ranked like 864th in the world or something like that Same. before he decided it was not for him <laughs> professionally. Uh but so basically the whole point of the podcast is I'm taking Michael a brand new like has not watched drive to survive has not watched a race f1 newbie through the grid through the drivers and at the end of the season he chooses which team and driver he wants to start supporting but obviously the bigger themes of this podcast are about how we come about fandom what drives our our own personal fandoms and, and the cultural stuff surrounding that but in our last episode what sort of surprised me was so I I obviously had looked up every driver and team principal and owner and whatnot and we did the Haas episode and the number of dms i've gotten from like legit fans of f1 have been watching for at least a couple years the number of fans who did not know that Haas owner gene Haas so the namesake of the team 
went to prison for white collar crime in the 2000s is astounding to me. Like I, and everyone, everyone's the same thing. Why does this not come up in the ridiculous world of F1 scandal that this man, can you imagine how bad your crimes had to be for you to get convicted and like sent to prison? And he only served, I think 16 months out of the two or two and a half years, but he served prison time for white collar crimes. (laughs) That was definitely, and it never gets mentioned. F1 will bring up scandals. They'll bring up scandals of a number of other people uh-huh. kind of sporadically. Never does it come up that Gene Haas is has that, been convicted of crime. Yeah. So that is um, wild. Yeah. One of my favorite fun facts. And it's just so random. And you know, some of it was like conspiracy and fraud and and witness intimidation, just things you, you know, Michael Costa was equally sort of like that. I cannot weird. wait until Rick hears this part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But it was just something that I, yeah, a number of people who are like, I've been watching F1 for two, three, four, five, ten 10 years, and no one has mentioned. No one mentions it. Haas came on the, the scene 2015, 2016. No one's mentioned that Gene Haas, at least publicly, like no one's talking about it on a broadcast. Yeah. Went to prison. And he's also. And they say all sorts of stuff on those broadcasts. Oh, yeah. Like they... he's also, I do love, he's not a billionaire. He's only a like hundreds millionaire. So, oh, yeah. Uh, can't, you know, barely in the club there, Gene. Yeah. But seriously, he's got the uh, the white collar crime creds, apparently, <laughs> to be in yeah. the sport of F1. Well, maybe yeah. if he had gotten away with it, he could be a billionaire. And that's the problem. Yeah. He had to pay for those lawyers who still, yeah. had to serve, still serve time because that's how bad yeah. it was. So. <laughs> had to pay for the lawyers thank you hannah um so do you do you feel that drive to survive is accurate obviously with uh you know like what what are your thoughts on that so overall whenever i am trying to turn people on to formula one i recommend drive to survive but with the caveat that it's great for the vibes so if you want to get a general gist of how the sport works and why it's dramatic and why it's great and some of the characters and all of that and again, I say characters very deliberately because we're seeing very specific versions of, of drivers. And we also already yeah. only get very specific versions of them publicly in the mm-hmm. sport. So we're seeing just like the Americanized reality TV version of these people who are already a little bit of caricatures to begin with. So I think though, I you know, now the nice thing about having an F1 podcast, at least for the little bit that it's still going to be relevant in terms of timeline and drivers and whatnot, it's nice to be like, hey, listen to my podcast, but also, which is a little bit vibey as well, but Drive to Survive, great for if you just want someone to get into it. But I don't think it should be leaned on as like a an important historically accurate text <laughs> sort of thing. But but I've had several friends who are like, no, I get I get the drama that I'm looking for and all of that. So that's where I think it falls. I will say, because I get asked a lot, why did it why was it such a hit with American audiences? And obviously, first of all, it it tells the story from a very American cultural perspective. Americans understand drama, the quick cuts, all of that. The second thing I always point out is even if you aren't a reality TV viewer yourself, or you're like very strange about not watching reality TV because you're a smart person, blah, blah, blah. First of all, I think that's bullshit. Everyone should go watch some reality TV. But on top of that, if you're just an American living in our society, you understand reality TV. It's just so conspicuous and so just percolating in every single part of our culture here. Mm -hmm. You kind of understand how the Kardashians operate and what the whole point is, even if you never watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians or their new Hulu show, we all kind of understand the touchstones of the Bachelor franchise, even if we've never seen it. How many times do you hear people say something about being there, quote unquote, for the right reasons? 
but you've never even watched the show. So I think Americans are very, even if they won't admit it, are very quick to catch on to this specific version of reality TV, which mm. Drive to Survive is, and and sort of understand what the beats are and what they're supposed to be looking for. We're not as thrown off. I know the thing, for instance, that comes up a lot. I brought this up in a, on a couple other interviews and things um so for instance a big thing that always makes me laugh on on f1 reddit when they're talking about drive to survive is they're like i can't believe that they pulled an interview someone did on one day but put it in a di- you know a different context and i'm like that's called frankenbiting the bachelor franchise has been talking about this since the year 2000 like y'all are two decades late on discussing <laughs> this editing technique and all the men think that they're being brilliant like discovering new ground here it's like no no women have been discussing we've this. been here we've we've seen the hills we yeah, watched like, we, Laguna yeah, Beach. we've seen the hills we've watched all these things so so yeah so it's just it's just classic american rally tv but again new new characters new vibe new new rides you know so so i i I, yeah i think yeah i think as long as people don't look at it to be the be all end all of their f1 experience but use it as a way to get excited about what the sport can and can be or 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 could be to them um yeah that's what that's what i i think i use it for but i always give the caveat now with friends of watch it to get into this and like for the aesthetic and whatever but don't rely on all of the storylines to tell you exactly what's going on especially season one it's from 2018 man like we were yeah. in a different world in 2018. It was, it's about yeah. to be, yeah, like it's 2022. I can't believe we're in like the kind of back part of the year here. That's already putting me in mass denial. So the idea that you're going to know what's happening in the sport in like 2023 based on a 2018 season is just not, I mean, I watched F1 this weekend with a friend who had only watched half of season one. He's like, wait, when did that Daniel Ricardo guy leave Red Bull? And I was like, sir, I'm like we have take a minute (laughs) yeah right well this is I had a friend who watched the first season or the second season or whatever and she's going on about how she liked Alex Albon and I was like he's gonna he's gonna have some gonna it's gonna be a rough journey (laughs) one of my favorite parts of our podcast was we have this uh this uh sound engineer named Rob who just he was at the studio he was assigned to our our podcast and he, over the course of listening to us, became a huge fan of the the you know the, the sport and started kind of following. And he watched a couple episodes of of Drive to Survive. And we happened to to ask him one week, you know, who are who are you liking so far? Who we've talked about? And then you know, gave some answers. And we asked him who he didn't like. And I just remember, and people pointed this out for whatever reason. People love it, but he he went Checo. Like he just hates Checo. And I'm like, is this <laughs> legitimately dislike Checo, or you made the mistake of watching a couple episodes of Drive to Survive? And then he you know, Rob stopped. I was like, is, are, you, so are you basing this off of like actual Checo or like Drive to Survive 2018 Checo, of which Checo is not painted in the best light in that particular season. And sure enough, no, he, a mix of both. So he really isn't because I, you know, I have not no problems. I have no, I've, <laughs> I'm not a fan of, of, of Checo to be perfectly honest, but I have no problems with Esteban Ocon and Hannah is not Hate the biggest him. fan. Yeah, okay. Esteban <laughs> is divisive. <laughs> yeah. but I I was re-watching the first season with a friend recently. Uh, and I texted her. I was like, oh my God, I figured out why I like Esteban Ocon. It's because they when you contrast, compare and contrast, Jacko and Esteban Ocon in the same episode in the way that they're painting Jacko as kind of an asshole. Like, yeah. you know, it's like you can't help but like. See, I feel like if I I rewatched it, I would, it would make me be like, oh, I'm so pro Checo right now because my, (laughs) my, my grudges run deep. 
they what's are. Your, what's your issue with uh, with Estebesti? What's, oh, what's I just going on? hate him. I don't like. I feel like he's squirrely in a way. Like you've seen I the squirrel video. When he says squirrel. Oh, oh, you say squirrel? If you, yeah, he has this hilarious video where they're trying to make him say things in like different accents. And he says, Chris, oh. say squirrel like an American says squirrel because he says kind of like squirrel, like a, course, in his French yeah. voice. And then he just goes squirrel and it's like very oh, well I'm known. Gonna work, I'm, I'm going to watch this. If you type an Esteban Ocon squirrel into whoop, YouTube, I'll put you'll it find in, it. The, in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I, I, I like Esteban. I do. I don't, um, I've been saying this, he's been on a bit of a PR tear. I mean, we've covered this in engine failure by we, I mean me. Um, and he also <laughs> said a couple months ago, he was hiring a stylist and then he showed up in some real fits. So I I've been curious and you know what it is? His team is being smart about very slowly introducing this new Esteban. So I like mm-hmm. that he's obviously hired good people for good money to make this very slow transition. Max Verstappen is the other one I've talked about endlessly. Who's currently on a bit of a of a of a PR wave at the moment? Very, I wouldn't say it's subtle, but it definitely they're they're trying. They're really going. Is this, for it. this brings this, us to our, our next question. We, this is we our have final information lab question. Yeah, we. Um, I believe we. I flip flopped on Max. I was mm-hmm. very pro Max, and then um, because I love a villain. And Christian Horner on Drive to Survive is the perfect villain, right? Like he's kind of like smooth, but he's a little bit sneaky. I just love it. I love everything about it. There's like blue eyes. It's going well, gray, 10 out of 10. So I was pro Red Bull. And then I, of course, last year, what happened to Lewis? Couldn't, you couldn't even look at Red Bull because it was just too upsetting. And it's not, not, necessarily on them right Mm -hmm. that's a whole different thing but it just felt so wrong and now I have flipped all the way back I am pro max because I feel like we've seen this pattern of Sebastian Vettel being the worst everyone hated him right because he was winning and now he's so fun and he's our favorite and I think that max is fun under there I think he's funny and I think I think we're gonna, in 10 years, we're going to be like, oh, Mac, look at him. No, I feel very, I would say, you know, Max has done stuff. He has had some moments of using ableist words and some racist language and whatnot and not great. Uh, and things that I've just been like, I am not on board with this. And now not to say other other drivers too, which I have no problem calling out. Dan Ricardo has said stuff, Carlos Sainz, other people. Um, so I have no problem sort of stepping in and being like, let's talk about all of them. Um, but I think, yeah, I think for me, I, I've said this to people, I think Max has the potential for an excellent redemption arc. Mm. Um, part of this too. So I am writing, I've had like a series of F1 romance novels sort of drafted. And one of them is in fact, I was like, I love enemies it, to lovers. And I have is said- Max for stabbing fan fiction? No, no, not at all. So, so a lot of the characters I think are inspired by general threads of certain types of F1 drivers. So, you know, like there's not one, for instance, there's a driver in the first book whose dad was an F1 driver. That's not based on any specific person. There's a bunch of drivers, yeah. obviously, who have F1 dads and there are daddy issues that come with that, very yeah. general mm-hmm. ones. So yeah, I definitely did not want to like write fan fiction of any one mm-hmm. actual person because that's just too weird for me. But I did with the second book, I th- did think to myself at first, I've, I've long said, and there's actually going to be um, something related to my my newsletter based on this, but basically- 
I have this argument that Max Verstappen has the potential to be the greatest enemies to lovers hero of all time. This man is made for a redemption arc. And I've long said, though, because, of course, in this book, I'm thinking to myself, who would knock a Max Verstappen-esque, though not specifically him, character just sideways? Like, who would be the one to knock him off that pedestal and humble this man? And so, of course, the character in the book is going to fall for his race engineer, who is a prodigy and infinitely smarter and better than him. And he's going to be at first, of course, so angry. (laughs) She is like so integral to him doing well. And, and, but but again, it's not based, the book is not based solely on Max. I'm not creating Max. But, but with Max in, in, in real life, or again, this version of Max we see, I am fascinated to see. Yeah. I, I would say I don't always root for Max look he's a successful driver already i don't have to his talent and and similar as we were saying with abu dhabi and whatnot he doesn't need us he doesn't need us and also i don't blame he took advantage of the situation that was presented with him i Mm -hmm. never blamed him for that i'm like do you guy also they're driving bajillion miles an hour they're tired at that point he he hears what's in his ear and he goes for it so i i applaud him for using the situation as advantage i i have no personally have no issue with that but i think that he has the potential and this is what i root for i root for the max the like the max arc the max edit like i think there is so much potential here for us to as you're saying to have a seb like and it's it's similar to how i would would have loved if fernando alonso had done that a little bit like there's a mm. couple of these drivers both both uh past and present that i think if we had seen the end of that curve it would have been really really satisfying like it is with seb like the fact that this man who i did not watch f1 when seb was obviously winning literally everything mm-hmm. but i i can understand kind of for people how satisfying it is to kind of see, and also a little bit a little bit divisive to a certain extent in terms of people who are angry about it you know they're like but well, we used to hate him and now we love him how do we are we supposed to feel and i, I, I always i also always joke that I can tell when people started watching Formula One by how they feel about Sebastian Vettel. Mm-hmm. So longtime fans are a little more weary of his whole shtick. Newer fans are like very pro Seb with no issue. But I think Max has this. Yeah, like I, I don't know if I root for Max the driver because he doesn't need me to. But I do root for Max the person to have this arc. I need him, though, to date like an aerospace engineer who's just infinitely smarter than him or something and 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 like find that i need to him to go to therapy and be estranged from yas like i i have all these hopes for max that maybe just maybe although it's a long shot for a variety of reasons i would love to see him grow into this person that he could potentially become but he'd have to confront a lot of things <laughs> to, is, to i i feel like i'm rooting for the max of my heart like the max that I know I'm doing be. yeah I'm doing the thing they tell you to never do in dating they like they're like don't date for like the potential someone has date for who's yeah. there now and I'm like yeah like I can't necessarily root for ne- who max is now or like we're getting it's not as horrible as it was a couple years ago but I I see the potential and that that warms my heart <laughs> to just see God, you got- what we could have yeah Kate, Kate is not playing this game with us yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe it I just cool. cannot I when I when I lost Tana to the to the Max side of things I was like what are we doing here we have very differing opinions now, now I think. Gra- yeah. granted I every weekend I'm like you know if Max wants to puncture a tire and give us like a more interesting race I will uh, not be a, so I will not be boring. mad yeah it I will not be so mad boring. But I, I obviously never I never root for him to like have an unsafe something or other but generally right. i'm like you know what if his car just wants to putter to a stop again like it did in bahrain yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. like i would be totally God. okay with that Not when, mad those, about it. when those yeah. two red bulls imploded on what oh. was like the, the almost the last lap of that race wasn't it 
bottle that was the, the opener i i was opener. with friends and we were just yelling like we were it was like incredible it was incredulous yeah so I, I i've been chasing that high ever since <laughs> yeah exactly so that's how i feel where i'm like max in the present day i'm like eh. i also think he has to he you know what i'm aware of the pr journey he is on too where he's uh he's trying but he has made some some serious missteps that i i personally cannot overlook over the years and i don't um I'll, I'll, i point them out to people but i'm not one to go to people and be like you must now hate him too like that's just too much effort and energy for me i'll do that if someone pays me money to do it but i'm not going to do that for free um it, we live in a capitalist world like i don't have time for that but <laughs> but uh i yeah like i i but i i would say when I, when someone is like okay can you in your heart of hearts find something to root for with max i'm like it won't be present day max it's what we could see in one alternate universe though it's very a very low chance of it fully realizing the way i want it to but um so instead i will have a character very lightly partially based on max who has the redemption max, arc of max my themes yeah 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 thematically that's what I, that's what I want um i feel like we should go into the box because then we can talk about um romance novels and therapy yes. <laughs> yeah so okay. yeah so that's the next uh the box 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 um would you we have been shocked to find that almost all of these how many we read five we've read five so it's not it's not a huge number but i don't do math 75 percent have had heroes who go or heroines or both who in the third act begin therapy yeah, they realize that they need to go to therapy. And we have been shocked by this. Shocked to our cores that this has is like a staple of the F1 romance. In the five that we've read. In with the, the, the caveat that it's been five. That they that the that every or not everyone, but a fair number of authors watching this and enjoying it are also thinking to themselves, therapy. Help them, help them help themselves, get them into a place where they can be their best max of our hearts, because he would probably require some therapy for his bad dad, which is another trope that we have seen. Oh, many so many bad dads. In the books and apparently real life, so. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have, we'd love to know your top three things that you think an F1 romance would need to have. Oh, goodness. Um, First of all, somewhat accurate depictions of the cars. Mm. I, yeah, I once read part of just a race car romance that was trying to be a Formula One romance. And then, of course, they were like, the characters had sex on the car. I'm like, first of all, an F1 car would just break, like, if that happened. But also, like, I I realized midway through reading it, I was like, oh, this woman is picturing a stock car like a NASCAR, not a single-seater, open-wheel racing situation like F1 or even an indie car. And so that was like, I can let a lot of things go accuracy wise in any form of a book, especially if it's, if it's genre fiction, I'm like, let's just, again, we're here for the vibes, right? Like there were certain things where I was like, okay, I can tell you have not even Googled what the car is that you are trying to depict. And that to me goes a little too far. Like it just, it just took me out of it. So I was like, I just need, I just need a generally accurate vague depiction of the vehicle in question so i think that's, that's the number fair. one thing for for an f1 romance um number two oh goodness i think you know what i would just like a storyline in general or the like i feel like a lot of f1 romances that i've seen red blur like seen red blurbs of or whatever there's always like 
a very like explicitly angry driver type and I feel like a, there's a lot missed when they're like I feel like a good f1 romance would have a little more nuance to that like even if there is rage and anger like a little more nuance to it that would be like my ideal um as we're talking about daddy issues and all this stuff I'm like there's many mm-hmm. ways to portray this and I would like a little more nuance for like a good f1 romance um that's just that's more of like a wish list than I like it has to have um and then three I mean there's always a crash like someone's always crashing and all that's always yes. a climactic yes. like, I, I just, yeah like it's always a crash um that, that's that always fun. what I want Every yeah time. we've we've read a couple where the crash there's like a crash in the prologue and mm-hmm. Kate mm-hmm. will text me and be like you're gonna like this one yeah like I there's always a crash yes, that at an important moment yeah. whether it's beginning middle like a yeah. climax or an end like there's always yeah. a there's always a crash that does something to the book um so just once I would like a driver yeah to putter to a stop and that's the the climax is they or or they caused a red flag or the you know a, or yeah. a yellow flag during the last race of the season when there is a tie-breaking situation <laughs> but uh yeah so it's yeah, I think that, but I, I would still like more nuance in like the anger because there's always an angry driver and that's always. Yeah, they do seem very mad about stuff. They, they're usually yeah. very mad. I'm like, can we just like a little, a little bit more to this it's, than just It's like a angry? little bit of the, like, I have to win. And when I'm not winning, I'm a child about it. I'm an yeah. angry child about it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I feel like there's a lot, especially too, because I follow like IndyCar and a few other series, a Formula E and a few others. There's just a real range of drivers and driver types and like how people look at their racing. And IndyCar, I wouldn't say is more chill on the track. It's actually more competitive in that sort of way than Formula One. But some of these guys get off the track and they're like, come have a beer with me. And you're like, what? You know, so, yeah. uh, so it's just a very different vibe. And I think that that can be also helpful to see other types of race car drivers who are not in the ultra high stakes very specifically rich european world of of mm-hmm. formula one um yeah. but of course you guys are not running an indie car romance podcast to my knowledge no. so well no <laughs> we we um people people are shocked when i tell them i have a list of 44 books that i have found um and that are just f1 and i was like and then we could we could theoretically move into other racing series because there yeah. are plenty of romance. Like I said, I mean, there's lots of NASCAR, but again, they don't really yes. know the difference because, yeah, like I said, this one particular book, I was like, oh, this is not an F1. Well, you'll be <laughs> very pleased to know that when we were um, brainstorming our segment names, what we were contemplating using the segment name under the hood, and then we were like, wait a second. <laughs> they don't have a hood. They don't have a hood. Yeah. So, Maybe yeah. like you know, sliding into the side pod. There you go. Like that's it. not very catchy. <laughs> um, but that's how we end up in the, in the garage. But, uh, okay. So I have a very specific question. Uh, on your uh, Instagram stories a few weeks ago, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. It was around the time when we asked you uh, to come on the podcast. Um, you had, uh, you had, I think, put a question of like, name a F1 person and then, and I'll suggest a romance novel for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, somebody said Toto Wolf and you said, priest, I will not be elaborating. And um, I would like you to possibly elaborate a little on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that priest. So priest by Sierra Simone is it, also Sierra Simone. I interviewed her for an article actually about religiosity in, in romance novels is about a year, year and a half ago. Um, she's just a brilliant mind, like how she thinks about her work. And, and it's very literary, but in the best way, like she has really thought deeply about 
her themes and why she's writing what she's writing. But basically, pre-spicier Simone is like, I think, exquisite smut. And it, it essentially is about a priest who obviously is is uh, seduced slash falling in love, though it's a little like that part of the plot. Is a little, there's some stuff going on there. But uh, but basically, yeah, it's about a, a priest who's like struggling with like his vows and he doesn't want to break them. But he's obsessed with this woman. So I, I've heard some references to Fleabag, though I wouldn't go. I mean, priest is infinitely smuttier than Fleabag gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, yeah, like the the priest character has a bit of a like daddy vibe to him in a way that's very specific to total wolf and i just find yeah it's just one of those books where the way like certain people lust after total wolf i'm like no no this just reminds me of how people are about priest like that particular book uh but it, it is it is um and i mean this again not in a bad way it is like smut with like a very thin plot and yeah. again, thin doesn't have to mean bad. It just means no. that that is not the focus. Like Sierra's Moon actually is thinking a lot about themes in this book, which is sort of interesting. And she's very careful in terms of crafting her language. And it's just one of those books where whenever I, I have sort of what, I, what I've called a steam scale. So whenever someone says I want to level like five out of five book and they're reading one of those for the first time, this is among the books that are usually in that pile for people who I think could handle it and not be like freaking out or, you know whatever um but it's not coming from coho yeah no 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 no. these are these are people i'm like you have to work your way up through the various uh levels of steam before Mm -hmm. you get to priest but it's definitely one of the yeah it's definitely one of the first that i i know a lot of people read when they sort of reach that level where they are going past what's what's sort of in mainstream romance or maybe in like the steamier part of mainstream romance and they're kind of saying okay i want i want the stuff where like maybe it's a little more kindle unlimited or like you know, so you're not going to have like a mainstream publisher uh, touting this romance to like, again, like the the large audience necessarily, like like your right. average middle America mom who wants to read some like a little bit of smut, you know, it's, it's not right. necessarily that book. Again, in terms the of the marketing. audience for the love hypothesis and the audience for priest are um, two circles. They are yeah, not a bad diagram. I feel, you know, I feel like the people who start with the love hypothesis could work up to priest, yes. but it's not it's not the book I would send them directly after reading love hypothesis. Oh, it's, no. like, it's like if they're going up the levels, it's like four or five books later. Again, if yeah. they've been going up, then I would I would eventually recommend priest. But yeah, it's just one of those where I'm like anyone who's read it yeah like the number of dms i got from romance readers who are like oh yes this is absolutely total wolf like goodbye like good night <laughs> again it's not necessarily that it is a race car romance or anything it's just the vibe oh, yeah, is no. there yeah the right. vibe is 100 i feel like there. i need to reread it now with that um mental image yes. i'm not i'm not sure if that's a good that'll be good or bad <laughs> i will say um i know andy j christopher romance author extraordinary yeah. giant lewis and f1 fan she uh yeah she i, I remember she dm me she's like yep this is 100 accurate good night <laughs> so, <laughs> i was like okay a, a, a romance obsessive and also a successful writer has said that this is in fact Approved. like yeah. she yeah. has she saw it she immediately she didn't have to blink she was like yep this is didn't skip a beat she's like all right yeah. we're, we're done here like it is 100 a total wolf book but again it's the vibe but um yeah i think i think just the scenario too like i don't know i i think i think also there's just toto is so like yeah and i, I know Susie wolf is also yeah. one of my like icons but like toto mm-hmm. himself is so like steadfast and stoic and like you know so it's just it's just there's that. something about that white shirt it's so tailored to his it's muscles so, and it's so sharp you know you there's and, that, and he has yeah. the, the sort of the sort of scowl down where it's not mm-hmm. actually an angry scowl but it's just how his face is yeah. <laughs> so, uh-huh. 
And I yeah. just, yeah, I think we all, we all eat it up, but I, yeah, I, I think, um, I think just like the Toto, again, it's like the Toto archetype is very alive and present in Priest, more so than the priest himself in that book is Toto or something like that. But yeah, yeah, I think there's like a, if someone was like, come up with like a Toto Wolf starter pack, that's like the book I would include. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, if you want to become like a Total Wolf stan, I'm like, read Priest, but obviously do not read Priest if you are brand new to romance, because you will in fact die. Like you will you will like just like spontaneously combust right there but I, if I'm you are sure, yeah go for I was it. gonna say I'm fairly certain that most everybody listening to our podcast is likely already a romance <laughs> okay so then if you if you already worked your way up through like mainstream romance the much the much spicier part of mainstream romance you're kind of getting over again we're yeah. dealing with more like stuff that is a little more leaning into erotica than just solely romance so again this does have a plot in that sort of way and it's different and also I very much respect erotica because that is very hard to write and to write yeah. well so but yeah but a different a different realm than you know you're right this is do not read priest after reading like a jasmine guillory book that's just like yeah, a different no. type of book different romance different vibe yeah vibe like everything so like this is in a different corner of the same universe mm-hmm. but like very different corner um and both excellent yeah. books but uh and authors but like different very different yeah no I mean yeah. and and that's kind of you know we're always uh one of the things Han and I talk about a lot as romance readers is that there is just like so much in the genre oh yeah. or there you know there's something for everybody exactly. um and you know we're like we're not we know that there's no way that we would like every single book that we would ever read because there's just like there's so much variety and so much that um that there is to, it's it's a and wild some people don't plus. put crashes in their books and how are we supposed to enjoy <laughs> there are no daddy issues what will we do where is a the bad dad, dad? Table? oh god you know if the they are into uh, i'm sorry go for it we're we're seeing that there's no moms it's also bad moms. very very few moms mm-hmm. there was the yeah. one good mom mm-hmm. the brazilian models mom the brazilian models mom the brazilian <laughs> model <laughs> no she was the model that's right yeah yeah because her daughter was that's a half funny. of a model Yes. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, half of a model and half of a race car driver, as Hannah said <laughs> yeah. 14 times in the podcast. A perfect, a amazing. perfect heroine for her. Yeah. Amazing. It was, yeah. it was pretty spectacular. Um, I think that now that we've kind of, we've moved to talking about real people, so I think we should uh, go on the podium. <laughs> we have a few, a few um, questions do. about, uh, yeah. Hannah, um, do you so want to? Our- yeah, should I start with the first one? Yeah, which do we is, want, yeah. Well, I feel like we kind of talked about the second one, which is which driver has the most romance hero vibes. And it feels like the better version of Ma- Max would no, be- No, absolutely not. I do not okay. accept this okay. answer. I think we should discuss again. Okay. I think, I, I think Max would still be maybe my answer. Should, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should discuss in their current form. Oh, but in that's not form. in their current form is great because it means that's where we're starting as and we have so much room to go up we're all we're still on max then <laughs> i you guys this no, is terrible okay i will say that there's I, mean, I feel like there's also a journey to be had for instance with someone like mick schumacher that's mm. another one when i was thinking of kind of like again archetypes for different characters in my book there's just so much to to like discuss with Mick Schumacher on like a personal level and then obviously now with his driving and we don't know if he'll be in F1 next year and it's not looking great and no one really knows but I I think 
there's so much there and he's obviously someone who's been to therapy also has gotten media training because apparently he looks people like dead in the eye when he's talking to them and is like with his little piercing blue eyes i think and, i would uh, die i think i would yeah. fall over if he looked yeah i've heard this eye. from multiple people um and i but i i think though that there's like again in a in a, almost like an opposite way to max there's almost like there's something there. And I think I th- I'm upset that we probably will never get to explore it because he will most likely be off the grid, if not this year, then in the next year or two. Uh, but I, I I like Mick and I root for Mick. And I'm sad that his his cool uncle Seb is not going to be there any longer mm-hmm. in the sport. But uh, yeah, I think Mick's the other one who is already really kind and nice, but obviously has a lot of a lot of stuff that I think he's unpacked with a professional in terms of mm-hmm. um, his background and his mental health. And I like that about Mick, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's always the most compelling romance novel character if they've already yeah. kind of done the work and are still, still dealing with stuff, obviously, but it's not, it's not what it was. But I think Max, Max is the most like beginning of the romance novel vibe. Mick is maybe more. He's a pirate. I'm, I'm setting that. <laughs> I'm setting that 10 year um alert on my phone. I would, re- I would love reconvene. Oh, I would love nothing more than to, <laughs> I, to be I, like Max Verstappen has completed the hero's journey in a romance yes. novel. I would yes. I would love it. I would absolutely eat it up if if that's the conversation we're having at the end of his career is like, man, this guy said I will make I will make my life the romance novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness, that'd be incredible. So the um so then the other the the other question um was uh what what which romance novel hero could be an F1 driver? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually gave a lot of thought to this uh because I obviously um spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. Okay, so my short answer, if we're talking about sports romance, like which I think I wouldn't say is cheating, but like was a little bit easier. But the two, actually two characters I would do are Rachel Reed's characters from Heated Rivalry. I don't know if you've oh, read this series. Yes. Heated Rivalry is one of my top three books of all time. At first, I was like, it's one of my top three enemies to lovers. Then it turned into my top three sports romances, my top three romances. And now I've just admitted, like, I'm like, this book I have reread probably a dozen times since it came. Like, I, and then when I got, I got an advanced copy of the sequel, 500 page mm-hmm. book. I just sat in the same spot and read it for like eight or nine hours. Like, my roommate was like, is this the same? But I was like, absolutely. Like, I, <laughs> I ordered the merch. Like I am fully on the Shane and Ilya boat anyway. Mm-hmm. So them two, cause Shane Hollander is Mick Schumacher, basically like this guy just trying to do everything right all the time is afraid of making a wrong move and seeming like, like he's being high maintenance kind of like an Ilya. Like, I feel like there's a little bit of like five different drivers wrapped up in an Ilya who's sort of like kind of obnoxious and likes to be like, there's a little bit of, a little bit of Kevin Magnuson, a little bit of Fernando Alonso you know, but you, you respect a little bit of Max. So I just like those two. Um, the other person, which I have talked about on my Instagram stories, and I've said that Jonah from K. Tucker's The Simple Wild is Kevin Magnuson. Oh, the- I have not read this one. No. Yeah. Is that the one? Is there a hat on the cover? She's wearing a hat. Um, Might be. There, there's Am been like multiple. Up? There's been oh, like I a sequel right. and a a novella after it and then there's now like okay. a spin-off so i can't remember which mm-hmm. of the covers is which okay. okay i think you're right but basically the character of jonah like when i was reading it i i didn't realize it till later and then i think someone asked me about it and i was like wait a second this like blonde hair grumpy mountain man in 
middle of nowhere Alaska who hates to be bothered by people and doesn't know what to do with like a princessy high maintenance woman. I was like Kevin Magnuson, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I was like, so I was like, Jonah can be an F1 driver just because I just see Kevin Magnuson. He would drive as Kevin Magnuson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that whole, I could see a version of Jonah yelling, suck my balls, mate, at someone during like, kind of like in a tongue in cheek <laughs> way. Like I, you can see it with this character. Yeah. And so I just, again, it's like, he could be an F1 driver, but he specifically would be Kevin Magnus. <laughs> um, but that's the other one I thought about a lot. It just, and then, and I had several F1 fan friends read the book and they're like, yep, that this, they, they this, this author has accidentally written Formula One it's driver, like, Kevin Magnus like as her AU. protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I know she didn't mean to yeah. do it, but like, it's here. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. That's excellent like, because Kevin Magnuson is, and I realize this is not necessarily a popular opinion, but he is in one of my top three drivers uh, that I'm fans of. So I am now going funny. to pick this book up. <laughs> he's like, I just like that Kevin, like we talk about this on Choosing Sides, that Kevin left Haas, was a bitter Betty, burned every bridge, wrote a memoir where he trashed everyone, and then three months later got a multi-year contract back with the team. And they're like, Kevin's great. And I'm like, he said mad shit about all of you. Yeah. Publicly. And they're like, we gotta ignore it because we're fucked otherwise. You know, like I I love that storyline. It's just so there is like there was no lesson to be learned there. He was a dick and it worked out for him, but I weirdly root for him. <laughs> yeah. Know? The way he came back this season and then it's he was just, just like, so point. Yeah, like it's just that first Here race, that first race was madness. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember my friends yeah. and I were yelling like, P5 for Kevin Magnuson, first race Wait, back in a Haas. Didn't you even know, have the neck strength for it? Like just, The, um, the emotions that we were yeah. feeling during that race. <laughs> It's been really tough um, to hear them saying every week, uh, and here comes Hamilton trying to get around Latifi. That's been real. That's been like a really tough thing to hear. And I Oof. feel like we hear it every two weeks now, and I'm not enjoying it. It's not my favorite. But when we're getting this George Russell consistency, so that's all right. George, yeah. is, he's, you know, he's getting it done. And, and yeah. Carmen is leading the wag pack in terms of fashion. Like, mm-hmm. they're... And I don't know what George is doing now that Tommy Hill figure, but I'm sure we'll find out soon because Mercedes <laughs> has had a long time partnership with Tommy, as has Lewis. And but I someone needs to Carmen needs to help George with a little bit of that stuff. But um she's been a she's been the 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 fashion queen of the wags. Um I say that with confidence. So but but yeah, but I, I Mercedes, they're getting back. They're they're coming yeah, back. But I, I do I feel like I feel like our mojo's getting back together here. Yeah. yeah. I need I need yeah. a three a three team race for for wins. So next season I think is when mm-hmm. we're gonna hopefully see a little bit more of more of that. Yeah. Hopefully, but, hopefully. Hmm. Okay, so this is um a Taylor Swift oriented question, mm-hmm. which is so are you, which wait, well I guess oh, we, what? are you I assume you're a Taylor Swift fan, yeah? I do like Taylor Swift, yes. Okay, so, yeah, okay. She has this new album coming out, Midnights, mm-hmm. about staying these all these nights that she's had sleepless nights and had written a song in the middle of them, right? So we think which driver is most likely to need Midnights to get through a night? Oh, Who's going to vibe to Midnights? Yeah. Going through my list here. Um, I feel like Lewis would appreciate the album. Mm-hmm. Get, yeah. also given that he does his own music stuff um i don't know yeah what brain it is but he does it so that's good uh we um, did listen to his song with christina aguilera mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i feel like um 
I feel like Charles is a little more is emo. And I think oh. also I know Charlotte, his girlfriend, has uh, exposed him to different types of music. So he does know the lyrics of the song Senorita because of Charlotte. So, and he obviously has sung Adele before, I believe. Or was that card? No, that was Joe Charles. Like, I feel like he'd be into the emo. He'd be like, I'd also, Charles is the type of person who'd be up at night replaying everything that went wrong that mm-hmm. day, even if it's not a race day. Like, he's just that type. So I, I could see that um i'm still going down the grid i feel like lando norris replays uh last year's russian grand prix race in his head over and over mm. where he was in first and gave it up over not pitting um so i think he's a, he can be a little bit sensitive also a little bit cocky at times but i think i think that race he would he would li- he would listen to this album replaying that race over and over a year later um and then other than that i'm like going down the grid in my head yeah, I, and I also just think my my um, I think Alex Albon might do a little bit also because Lee mm-hmm. would be like a Taylor Swift fan and she'd be like we're listening yeah. to this now and he'd be like great I'll vibe with it and then Mick Schumacher because he's also a little bit of an emo sensitive boy because he's actually been through some shit in his life so yeah um but yeah so I feel like there's there'd yeah. be um but I feel like Charles though would would definitely be the most like yes. and then and of course he would try and cover up that he wasn't like crying to Taylor Swift and we'd be like it's okay to feel your masculinity it's okay. Charles, yeah like, it's fine. but yeah. he he would definitely in therapy. <laughs> exactly but he just yeah he strikes me as that type so <laughs> that's but i think that's the perfect yeah. answer yes uh the <laughs> how did this is yours so you need <laughs> to ask it okay so i just found out that um latifi is also part of what i'm calling the canadian billionaire charity program he is yes yes um, that is a foods I, billionaire yeah i didn't um i was wondering if you know if any more of them are coming up are we going to get more of these Canadian billionaire? Um, are there more people in this program on their way in? I actually don't know off the top of my head. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm also just not a, as aware of like, let's say like F3, F4 guys. So there could mm-hmm. be, I just have absolutely no idea. I'm trying to think of the F2 grid. We have American Logan Sargent, who I have many, I mean, I've written about my many thoughts mm-hmm. on Logan Sargent's background um, financially and otherwise, but uh I don't know about Canadians in the immediate F2 that I'm just not thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. good. I'm, Cause I don't, I don't love the Canadian Billionaire charity program myself. <laughs> we're not, not the biggest fan. Not, yeah. yeah. Not, no, not vibing with it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, and then we're every episode when we read these books, we got very close in one of them to having a female driver as the, as the heroine. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is, we've decided that that's what we want in a book. Um, yes. And you know that, that TV, there was a TV show pitch where, yes. um, right? Is it possible? Would we ever see a female driver? When we, and we know you've talked about this on Engine, and engine Failure and, and um, Jamie Chadwick and, and all that. But yeah, so that was, but yeah. I think we, I mean, it's, a woman can absolutely drive an F1 car and all of that. I think the yeah. problem is that there would have to be, first of all, a lot of systemic barriers removed, mm-hmm. then a lot of more practical barriers removed. And then on top of that, a much more thorough and rich and supported pipeline for women that it all have to be very mm-hmm. deliberate at first because all those like obstacles have been put in place. So what I mean by that is, for instance, um, in terms of systemic barriers, I mean, there's just not many women who are like told to drive. A lot of them are just overlooked by sponsors and other rich people who are important to, you know, working your way up uh, the various junior formula categories and carding and whatnot. On top of that, 
there are there have been a lot of discussions about how a lot of um you know open wheel racing cars these single seaters that we talk about that are important in these lower formulas they are made to fit very specific um cis male bodies and so because of that even if you're a guy you know you're again you're a cis guy unless you fit very specific parameters you're going to also have trouble with the various cars that you're in unless you have a lot of help adjusting and doing all this other stuff so that sort of barrier again that's one of many of these logistical just practical things that would need to be fixed um to just help more type different types of people regardless uh be able to, right. to do what they want in the sport um and then yeah lastly i think the other big problem is pumping money in at the last second if you're like oh we'll pump money into like a formula two woman driver it's like well where are those you know we have Tatiana calderon is back uh but that was after a, a really kind of just like sad and tragic situation at indycar with with sponsorship and, and the team she was on um so yeah so there's this this question too of like okay who's going to actually go out recruit women to begin carding at a young age make sure they're taken care of during their carding experience both financially as well as emotionally because they're going to deal with some fuckery if they're just you know if they're white women if they're women of color there's gonna be all sorts of shit being thrown at them that's yeah. not even including you know non-binary drivers or other other folks like that queer drivers etc so you're gonna need people who can literally from from day negative 10 you know be on the yeah. lookout for recruiting great talent getting them in the pipeline protecting them in every sort of way and then also helping them meander and maneuver through the various levels of like utter clownery and politicking that come with race car driving and this isn't just formula one that deals with this it's every series has its own form of of whatever and, and at least that i found uh, it's just a matter of it's just a different flavor of that you know mm -hmm. to get into indie car is different than to get into formula one for example but they they both have their own different types of this stuff um so it just would need to be a very long-term expensive commitment to getting non yeah like cishet european white dudes into the sport and it's also just not very interesting work, right? Like that's just, you just got to, a lot of it is just like paying for people to go karting when they're eight, you know, <laughs> like a random track. That's just not fun, glamorous stuff. Yeah. So that's a huge issue too. Um, but I, I think a woman is absolutely capable of being on the grid and all of that. Um, and, but I, at the same time too, it's like, while it's nice that there are some different series, the W series or different initiatives, I should say, to get women into F1, or I would say again, to get non-dudes into F1, or cis, cis head dudes typically. Um, I think the problem is the commitment. I, I question the long-term commitment and I question the depth of the commitment commitment needed to make that all happen. So yeah, I think- It's um, almost like the Canadian billionaire charity program could have been constructed to do this. Exactly, yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that. And I will say too, <laughs> that among the arguments I've seen for or around f like women in f1 and whatnot the arguments and just kind of the tenor of the discussions are very early 2010s lean in girl bossy stuff so mm. a lot of rich europeans who think they're being progressive are like a decade behind in terms of how actual discourse around feminism whether and of course i'm talking again too about like western feminism because it's very yeah. different than other parts of the world but the way that europe conceives of feminism and america too i'd argue in canada or any of these countries in the west um very rich white western countries i should say um yeah like like f1 is a decade behind those let alone like other conversations yeah um, but just yeah, the other way even i think some i've seen some well-meaning women or people or men even who think they're being allies of women just use very like 
again, not archaic is the word, but very dated language around discussing. Yeah. Like any girl who wants to be an F1 should totally be in it. Like you can do it. I'm like, I think we're past the point of being like women, if you just lean in far enough, like you will not face plant. Like you will in fact get, get the, you get there. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, think I guess it depends how much weight manifest it. Pulling. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Like there's a lot of that still going on. That sort of makes me, I don't want to say eye roll because I get we're all on a different journey and whatnot, but I've definitely, I've had times where people have sort of tried to talk to me about women in F1 and I'm like, oh, my politics are like very different and a little bit more for like, I know where my, I mean, I was a politics opinion writer for many years during the Trump era, no less. So like I, my opinions are out there, like where my feminism lies is very different, I think, than some of these people and probably a little bit more nuanced. So yeah, that's always hard though, is when people are like, support me because I, I want to say that like all oh, women can do it. I'm like, yes. And also it is a bit of a bolder, you know, like to, 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 uh, roll up that hill. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely, but I find that really, I think, I think that's almost more interesting than like the sexism and racism and, and homophobia, like that, that's like important to talk about. And also on top of that, like the very nuanced and very, uh, very base level one-on-one level feminism stuff that's going on that also can be equally harmful in terms of like keeping women, people of color, queer people, even disabled people as well out of motorsports. But it's it's sort of an interesting thing to watch because yeah, you watch a lot of people thinking they're being ultra progressive and you're sort of like, oh, we have many ways to go here <laughs> and, yeah. and all of that. Um, but I think I think some people are on their way and all of that. But I, I think you look at someone like a Jamie Chadwick who is perpetually sort of stuck in this bizarre holding pattern and, and really running out of options and trying to figure out what she wants to do. And, um, and yeah, it's like, if she can't even make it and she has a lot more advantages and a lot more yeah. going for her mm-hmm. than a lot of people, regardless of gender. Um, and she's struggling for a variety of reasons, some of them related to her gender. Um, yeah. How, how the hell are anyone else, is anyone else supposed to yeah. make it? Um, right. so that's a little bit bleak. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel that we should have had a follow-up question after this. So it was more fun. No, you 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 tapped into something that's yeah. like my shit. So I'm like, yes, yeah. I have things to say about this. Um, no, and but, uh, obviously we wanted to hear those things. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's why we invited you here. And uh, we needed someone smarter than us. <laughs> oh, you're far too kind. I'm glad. I'm glad during my my loopy hour that that's uh, that that's that, that's what you're thinking. <laughs> so, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here being like, wow, we are not talking about the things we could really be getting yeah. into. <laughs> there are definitely definitely aspects I'm, that we could be getting I'm into. I'm over here being like, I didn't like when they said gusset during the sex scene. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I would I, say that's equally important. Yeah, valid yes. opinion. Yeah. 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 Um. So if you, uh, you know, if if the listener, if you, the listener, has also enjoyed uh listening to Lily Herman's opinions as much as Hannah and I have, um, reminder that you can subscribe to Engine Failure at uh, enginefailuref1.com, and uh, thank you for listening to Racy Books. Uh, you can find us on the internet at racybooks.com, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Racy Books Pod. And um, thank you for listening to our first season. Um, we will We've possibly be announcing a second season, but we'll keep you all updated. So come back for season two. And, uh, yeah. and uh, thanks for joining us on this ride. And thank you, Lily, for being our guest. 
Um, and uh, Rick is going to cut this uh, little oh. awkward part out, and I'm going to stop you, recording. I really wish that there was some way that he could keep your finger guns in there, though. I'm going to stop did. recording now. Okay. <laughs>